Uh, hope is important. Hope um, is a strong testimony. Let me read you something. Quote, his philosophy became a way of coping with his own rejection of absolute truth, as well as a crusade to liberate humanity from labeling, marginalization, and suppression. This was written about the 20th century philosopher Michel Foucault. While a young man, he was riddled with guilt over his homosexuality, attempting even suicide. This statement about him, this, along with his, and then you see this other things here, his imbalances proved to be decisive for his own intellectual development. He was a postmodern thinker. And postmodernism cannot allow for thoughts and things to have any firmly noble meaning aside from our individual interpretations. As one author put it, if things had real intrinsic essences, they could have real intrinsic meanings, and that is simply, to the postmodern, unacceptable. Is your philosophy a way of coping with your own rejection of absolute truth? And then also to join the crusade to liberate humanity from labeling, marginalization, and suppression as you see it under our creator? Are things that have real intrinsic essences and real meanings unacceptable to you? How do you think that's going to help you see life? How is it serving our world? How will you personally cope with your pain and disappointments today? The whole world, it seems like, is reaching to pills, to porn, and pleasure, and passionately holding to postmodernism to avoid the truth. As we witness large parts of the Western, excuse me, the West descend into, into Gotham City because you know, once modernism attempted to enthrone humanity in his place above God, in place above God everything was uh, important was slaughtered along with God when that was embraced. And there are now no one's left to be crowned. And this kind of life, this kind of thinking leads to hopelessness. This kind of hopelessness is found at the bottom of bottles, at the end of a plastic bag of pills. This hopelessness will be found in a night of just clicking and clicking and scrolling and scrolling, a night of partying, and on the deathbed of those who sought only their own peace separate from absolute truth. There will be no peace. But hope possesses enormous power. One professor, particularly one at Stanford, has shown that having a personal sense of purpose, a sense of what life is all about, radically alters how people cope with their circumstances. And those without purpose report anxiety, disappointment, discouragement, and despair. And those with purpose report joy in spite of sacrifices they must make, a sense of energy, satisfaction, and persistence when they run into obstacles, end quote. But are all hopes the same? Instead of that depressing view, which postmodernists uh, hold out for us, the Bible offers one true stability and everlasting hope. And those who have been transformed by God's grace in Christ 
have it, and those who are seeking to suppress the truth about Christ are those who do not have it according to Scripture. Let me ask you something. Do you ever get tired of being sick and tired? Today, I want to offer you hope. If you're a believer, let me ask you this. Do you ever waffle in doubt of God, which puts you in a season of unfruitfulness? You ever been there? Walking in doubt with God and therefore result a season of unfruitfulness. Well, again, I want to offer you hope today. Let's take our Bibles and open to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. You'll find the text this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there's one provided for you there in the pew on page 1000. We'll help you to open God's word as we go through the text this morning. Romans is a missions letter, but it's, it is all, also the most brilliant theological letter of the, of the Bible. It was written by the Apostle Paul to prepare the church in Rome for his visit, promoting unity in the gospel of Jesus Christ for the Jews and Gentiles, and to help get them united for the purpose of expanding and spreading the gospel. And a number of things, though, he had to make sure, to, in order to create, make sure they had unity, they had to uh, find it in Jesus Christ. So how do you correct wrong identities and misconceptions about how people are one together in Christ? You have to gospelize them. And so that is what Romans does, is saturate the reader in the glorious truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah, let's set the context. Think with me about a long drive. Some of you have done long drives on the interstate. Um, ever driven on a long drive and look forward to the next rest stop? I assume you have. Uh, I look forward to Bucky's on 95. Raise your hand if you've been to Bucky's. A few of us, praise the Lord, there you are. Um, it's not the New Jerusalem, but at first it tricks you a little bit um, because you're like, what have I walked into? Where am I? Um, and so they're popular for a reason with drivers because they are the best rest stop along the way. Uh, Romans 1 through 4 has been quite a long drive. It lays down the reason the whole, the whole world and everyone is in trouble and needs Jesus just as the Bible said so. And it has blown up the false ideas and traditions that crept in among Jewish believers, making plain that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, through the merits of Christ alone, not through the laws of, of Moses or Jewish tradition. And the Old Testament Paul has been showing testifies to this truth. And so then comes the beginning of Romans 5. It is the rest stop. It is the, the cafe of rest for a minute, for a little while, and refreshment before we, we take another deep dive into glorious theological truths. Chapter 5 links chapters 6 through 8 to the verse uh, 4 chapters very well. And so Paul begins to describe now the benefits of being justified, the benefits of being saved. So if you've been justified, uh, set uh, cleansed before God, forgiven and credited with the righteousness of Christ as a free gift by faith in him and not of your own doing, you have great benefits to enjoy right now. I like benefits, don't you? There's some wonderful benefits. There are benefits unlike any other right here at the beginning of Romans chapter 5. Look with me now at God's holy word, Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character and proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us. 
because God has, God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Amen. This is God's word. I need to stop there because the chapter just keeps getting better and better. So I need to preach what's manageable for me this morning. Our justification is not simply a guarantee of heaven, as thrilling as that is, but it's also the source of tremendous blessings, as you just saw there in the passage. In Christ, we have been freed from our past. Our old record of rebellion and sin is put away, and we have peace with God, and we are free in the present right now to enjoy a relationship, access to God, and we will one day most certainly experience the freedom of life lived in full in the awesome presence of God, enjoying the glory for which we were originally created. All of that briefly just packed in in these few verses. Notice with me, verses 1 and 2 opens up with the benefits we have from a right standing with God because of Jesus alone. They are peace and then access. So we boast not in ourselves, but our boast is in Jesus for the hope that he has secured for us. And then look at verses 3 through 4. We also now have reason to boast in God's good work in us through afflictions that serves now to strengthen our faith in the hope of glory. And then verse 5, this, by the way, this world, if you don't know it yet, disappoints, but not Jesus and the hope that we have in him because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the giving of the Holy Spirit. So that's just a short summary of the passage, but here's the central point. It's there for you in your bulletin if you're taking notes this morning. Here's Here's the central point. Rest in Jesus alone because he assures and never disappoints. Rest in Jesus alone because he assures and never disappoints. Amen. Number one, point number one, the summary of Romans. The summary of Romans. It's really, it says context there in your bulletin. It really should say like uh, verse 1a. It's the first part. Uh, This is the summary of Romans 1 through 4. Verse 1, therefore, in light of what Paul's been teaching this whole time, he starts us off here. What's that? Where, therefore, therefore, what's, what's that therefore, therefore? Everything that preceded it. The v- very summary of 1 through 4 is, is stated like this. This is how you s- summarize chapters 1 through 4. We have been justified by faith and not our works. What the Lord Jesus Christ has done is the basis of our justification. He was crucified for our transgressions. Look at the end of chapter 4. You can see it right there. And raised for our justification. He was crucified for my sin and for your sins. He had no sin and he went to the cross to be the perfect payment for our sins and he was raised because that payment was satisfactory to the Father. And so this salvation, this justification, just as if we never sinned, this right standing, this crediting of righteousness is not by works, not by tradition. So if you want to be forgiven by God and counted righteous by God and not unrighteous by the judge of the universe, Paul only reminds us here what's always been taught in Scripture, that God justifies the ungodly like Abraham, like David, and like you and me, free by his free grace offered in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no gift greater than Jesus. You have to put down the idea of your own good works because you know they are tainted in God's sight. Faith receives. Grace gives. Remember, faith receives. You have to receive that Christ is your only righteousness to stand with God. 
So the Son of God came to earth in true and full humanity to redeem sinners, to take on the debt of our sin as if it was his own by living a sinless life and then offering himself in payment for all who would repent and believe. And because God accepted that payment, signified at the resurrection, we can be justified by the Spirit uniting us to him. So if you turn from trusting in you to trusting in Christ, you can be saved. Can you hear me this morning? If you turn from trusting in your own goodness and hoping that God will, will weigh you by your good deeds out measuring your, your bad deeds, if you'll turn from that nonsense, is it? Because that's nonsense according to the Bible, and put your trust completely in Jesus, you can be saved. But you have to believe. You confess this morning that you have uh, committed evil in God's sight in your words, your thoughts, and your deeds. And that, and if you can hear me, listen, you have to confess that your only hope of evading judgment is in Christ alone who bore your payment at Calvary's cross. Have you come to the cross yet, friend? Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. I'm asking you, have you come to the cross yet yourself where he shed his blood for you? And if you can hear me, if you have ears to hear me this morning, Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. He was raised so that you could be saved from his wrath. Today, you can only be justified before God through trusting in his precious one and only son, and his name is Jesus. I don't know what you're holding on to today as if you have more time, but you need to know that hell lies to you every day in that. You are believing lies if you think you need more of this world while you reject God's offer of salvation. Today is the day. Repent and trust in Jesus alone. Believers are in the, in the right with God, not as a reward of some accomplishment. It's not because God recognizes the righteousness of our faith. No, but solely as a part of a divine reckoning of faith for righteousness. So in chapters 3 and 4 of Romans, Paul establishes here very plainly that salvation comes on the basis of his grace through faith. As one author put it, man's only part in becoming saved is to receive forgiveness and reconciliation freely in faith, from God's gracious hand. And so the person who trusts in anything else, including obedience to God's own laws, the Mosaic laws, cannot be saved. You have to lay all that down and say it's only through Jesus alone. Rest in Jesus because he assures and never disappoints. Number two. Number two, the suspension of hostilities. The suspension of hostilities. Focusing on Verses 1 and 2 now. The first benefit that Paul describes here, or discusses here, is the fact that believers, look at the text, have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Why do we need peace with God? You know, John MacArthur shared this story. I read about it in one of his books this week. He said, once I heard a professional football coach during a pregame devotional service I held for his team say, I don't know if there's a God, but I like having these chapels. Because if there is one, I want to be sure he's on my side. MacArthur said, sentiments such as that are frequently expressed by unbelievers who think that the creator and sustainer of the universe can be cajoled into doing one's bidding by giving him superficial lip service. God is never on the side of unbelievers. He is their enemy, and his wrath against them can only be placated by their trust in the atoning work of his son, Jesus Christ, end quote. You have to know Christ. 
Sin has created the problem of alienation from God. We are separated from God. We, are, we have lived in hostility against the one who gave us life. When we are walking uh, in unbelief, when we are walking in the ways of this world under the power of the evil one and the authority of the evil one in the flesh, in our sinful impulses, we are not uh, friendly with God. We are not neutral with God. The Bible says we are enemies of God. We, do, we think we like him at times. But the truth is we have hated him. And every person who is not a child of God is a child of Satan. And every person who is not a citizen of God's kingdom is a citizen of Satan's kingdom. Like it or not, those are the two kingdoms in Scripture. It's impossible to know the peace of God if you don't have peace with God through Jesus Christ. And so Paul is speaking of an objective peace that comes from being counted righteous. So, folks, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian... Uh, if you're not, if you've not put your trust in Jesus, you are at war against God and you are going to lose. You're already losing now. You just don't know it. And you need Christ who came to make peace with God through his shed blood on the cross. Peace with God means that until salvation, friends, there is a war going on between God and us. When we disobey God, two things happen. The first is that when you sin, you not only break his law, but you assume you have the right and authority to do it, <clears throat> and you claim kingship over yourself and your own world, which God created. And the air that you breathe is the air he has made for you to breathe. And so God's wrath is not the same as ours. It's not vengeful or vindictive. It is legal. And there's a sentence on us, and it cannot be discarded. The debt cannot be wished away through wishful thinking. And not only are all believers enemies of God, but also uh, God is the enemy of, enemy of unbelievers. You stand condemned under his holy judgment right now. The whole world is under judgment. Friends, if you rely on Jesus, though, on his life, on his death and his resurrection, rather than our own pitiful goodness before holy God, we can be freed from the hostility and anxiety as it relates to God. We can have peace with God. And peace with God is... Peace with regard to God. It's objective. It's a fact. And it happens whether or not I feel happy and secure. If my feelings aside, if, if you are trusting in Christ alone, I have no righteousness except Jesus alone, you have peace with God through faith in him. You see, reconciliation, as you will note as you read Romans 5, is the theme of Romans 5. Reconciliation with God brings peace with God. And that peace is permanent and irrevocable because of Jesus Christ. He took the wrath that we deserve on the cross and we have peace through his shed blood on our behalf. So serenity of the soul starts with peace with God through Jesus Christ. You will never know peace if you don't have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Now notice the second benefit that Paul discusses. We also have obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand, the text says. So through Jesus, we get peace, but we also have access, the text says. So justification is the removal that, of that negative, the removal of hostility. And then we have the positive act uh, in justification, which is now relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We have access. This is friendship with God. We were once his enemies. Now we're his friends. And we can now go to God continually with our request, 
with our problems and our failures, and he hears us, and he relates to us because of Jesus. Church, have you ever, let me, just, let me ask you, brothers and sisters, as individuals for a minute, have you ever fallen before the Lord overwhelmed by pain that you were in? You think of that spot in your house where tears were shed on the floor as you cried out to the Lord for help. And, and in the midst of that, you experience such thankfulness for the grace to enter into his presence again. Every time you were heartbroken over that family situation and that child and that cancer and that stress, and you took it to the Father in prayer, you took it to him because Jesus gave you access. He is our high priest and our righteousness. Praise the Lord. I don't, when I lay down in prayer... When those, those burdens have been unbearable, I don't walk away uh, more discouraged. I walk away thinking, I'm so glad I had access to take it to the Lord. I wonder, it says here in the text, we stand in grace. It's a grace that means we always have a, a like one author put it, a VIP pass into the hallways of heavenly power. Have you ever been hooked up with a great deal? Your, your friend says to you, hey, I, I know a guy, right? They say that. You're like Joe Jr. on that, uh, on that movie with, uh, I can't remember the name of the movie, but he says, hey, I, I know a guy. Uh, while you were sleeping is the name of the movie. Okay, who cares about that? But the guy says, you know, I know a guy. And you realize that we don't open the way, we don't open the way or introduce ourselves into this state of grace. You have to know a guy. You have to know the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Here's an illustration. A little boy once stood outside the gates of Buckingham Palace in London. He wanted to talk to the king, but was sternly repulsed by the guard at the gate. He rubbed a, a grimly, uh, grimy hand to his cheek to wipe away a tear, and just then along came a well-dressed man who asked the little fellow to explain his trouble. When he heard the story, the man smiled and said, Here, hold my hand, Sonny. I'll get you in. Just you never mind those soldiers. The little boy took the hand and, and to his surprise saw the soldiers leap to attention and present arms at his newfound friend approached. Past the guards, he was led along the ca uh, carpeted halls through wide-flung doors and on, through a glittering throng right up to the throne of the king. He had taken the hand of the Prince of Wales, the king's son, through whom he had gained access. Friends, that's who we were. We, were, we had no access. And the son brought us in. Friends, we can only develop a personal relationship with a powerful dignitary if someone introduces us. And friends, the only way to get to God is through Jesus Christ. And so the state here, through which, therefore, in which the believer is introduced by Christ is not a precarious one. He has not only firm ground on to stand, but divine strength to enable him in this new footing, which we'll talk about later. And then the text here says we boast in the hope of the glory of God. To boast means to uh, talk to one, talk of oneself, um, to praise oneself, to congratulate oneself, to speak of ourselves as glorious or blessed. And so Paul's already pushed back about boasting in the laughable idea that you have kept the law. He's already put that down. But now he's talking about a different kind of boasting. The believers boast in the hope secured by Jesus, which will be a return to the glory that was lost in the Garden of Eden. In the New Testament, hope is not wishful thinking like, sorry, Jake, I hope the Lions will win the Super Bowl. I really did hope that too. 
It's not wishful thinking. The word hope is looking forward to something with some reasons for confidence, respecting uh, 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 fulfillment. In other words, it's a confident expectation that something will happen, not that it may or might. We have a solid expectation that Christ is coming again. The believer's hope is assured, and it's tied also to what has happened in the past, that Jesus has been raised from the dead. And so those whom God justified, Romans 8 is going to tell us, he also glorified. And so look at, the, look at this, these verses. They're wonderful. There is a peace and access right now that you can have and experience as a result of justification. But also, there's a not yet peace and access that's to come in glory. And that's why we get together. And that's why we sing and prepare our hearts regularly as the people of hope. Friends, think of the glory to come. Some of you came in here this morning and you're like me. You had some pain coming to the room. You're longing for heaven. It will involve conformity to Christ. We shall see him and be like him. It will involve total peace. R.C. Sproul tells a, a powerful story. He remembers where he was in the city of Chicago in the midst of playing stickball. And all of a sudden he heard all this screaming and the women running outside and he realized they were saying, it's over. The war is over. And there was peace. And he said, well, he goes, we had peace for a period. He goes, but this peace, when this peace comes, it will be forevermore. I look forward to those shouts of joy. It involves thrilling beauty as the glory of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. It will be a place of perfect harmony and love. Christ also, uh, in his high priestly prayer, prayed that his followers would see this glory. And he wants us to see glory and deliver us from this body of death. What a Savior. What an undeserved hope. It's all of grace. Nothing but grace. Friends, consider with me the impact of peace with God through Jesus today. You've been given a wonderful benefit. Peace with God through Jesus. Think with me. It creates unity. Look at how the world promotes and boasts in itself. We live in a selfie world, right? A self-shameless promoting world. But look at how the, you know, the world boasts in itself. But here is the thing. Individuals boasting in themselves, as you know, leads to strife. It divides a society. Society is tearing itself apart. But a shared boasting in Jesus and in God and his 100% grace unites us. That's why we're here this morning. How do you get all these people together? We would happily go park inside our house, close the garage, turn off the lights, and go lay down and be separate. But man, Jesus brings us together. Unity. The peace of God also gives us freedom. When a Christian is convinced that he's secure in Christ eternally, he's freed from focusing on his own or her own goodness and merit and is able to serve the Lord with the unqualified, as one author put it, confidence that nothing can separate him or her from their, their heavenly father. If you don't have this peace, you're going to be constantly undone and trying to do things that make you more acceptable, at least in your own sight, and working to the Father's approval. But when you understand peace with God through grace in Jesus Christ, it frees you from trying to justify yourself to freely serving our Savior. But also victory comes off of this. 
The peace that a believer has in the knowledge that they are secure in Christ not only strengthens their faith, but it strengthens our service. The knowledge that we are eternally at peace with God prepares us to wage effective spiritual warfare in Christ's behalf and in his power. You will not, if you don't have, if you don't know that peace is by grace, through faith, you're not going to have that proper knowledge to walk forward in power of the gospel. And lastly, you get is things you get here is confidence. If God sovereignly declares those who believe in Jesus to be forever justified, friends, let me ask you this: Who can overturn that verdict? You know, I I, I love my Protestant brothers and sisters all over this land, but some of them are flat wrong on eternal security. They deny it. If you have been declared justified, saved, nobody can overturn that verdict. You are secure today, not in your working for it or your working to keep it. You are kept by Christ and sealed in the Holy Spirit. Who do you think can overturn that verdict? Nobody. What higher court can overrule the divine acquittal? There is, of course, no higher court and no greater judge. Rest in Jesus alone because he assures and he never disappoints. Number three, another S, the stature from suffering. The stature from suffering. Paul says that we rejoice in our afflictions. He's not saying we should enjoy pain. Uh, He's saying you can rejoice in the midst of it. And we can do this not only because we know glory awaits us in the future, because we know that our sufferings are producing, look at the text you can see here, a maturity in the present. Suffering is painful. It's distressful and hard. I mean, why would we rejoice in that? Well, because we know that God uses it. He uses it to develop endurance, which produces character, which produces hope. We go from hope to greater hope. Myself and I think most in the room need to revisit this. I was so helped by Chris's prayer this morning too. God designs our sufferings to build us up so that we confidently expect him to do what he has promised. Look at the text. Suffering afflictions lead to perseverance. As one author put put it, this word really means single-mindedness. Suffering can make us focus more on God. You know what I'm talking about, Christian. I'm distracted. I'm not really focused on God. Well, contrast that when times when you were. Suffering makes us focus on what is really important, doesn't it? Have you suffered, Christian, and your focus on Christ become more clear? It should be. It makes us remember what is lasting. It helps us realign, this this is painful, our priorities. And so on. It removes distractions. You know, sometimes we let clutter and junk build up in our homes. And then we have to find a way to get rid of it. Or we waste money on a storage unit, which we never revisit, and ends up on a television show. Well, spiritually speaking, yeah. We allow things to build up and and crowd out the most essential thing in our life, and that's God. And we make excuses for it. We've got every excuse to to 
not prioritize God. And then trials come. And trials help us get refocused again. Notice here, endurance. He talks about endurance. means the ability to bear up. As one author put it, tribulation puts muscles on our souls. <laughs> we get out of shape spiritually. And then the, the, the holy trainer from heaven comes to visit and helps us through trials. Tribulation makes it possible for the people of God to persevere rather than to give up. When trials are raging, I need to see, I, I need to see and be able to go the distance and pray for that. I need to imagine God has me out training when I am going through a difficulty. That's a different mindset. You know, I want to hear that bump, 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 bump in my head right there. Spiritually, as I make my way up the Philly steps, I'm getting trained for heaven, for glory, to get to pry this world further out of my hands and to cling more to the Lord Jesus Christ. John Phillips said the maturing power of tribulation is well illustrated in the case of Job. Some of you are going through the chronological reading plan. We've been through Job already. It's always helpful. I don't know. I think it's helpful in, the, in January to be, to be in Job. It just is cold. It's tough outside. And you're faced with, oh, yeah, the world is full of trouble. And he said, in the book of Job, we see the righteous man first in the hands of Satan, then in the hands of men, and finally in the hands of God. At the hand of Satan, Job received tribulation, and it wrought in him patience. At the hand of man, his patience was sorely tried, but through it all, he gained experience. It was far easier for Job, for example, to triumph over the calamities he received at the hand of Satan than to triumph over the criticisms he received from his friends. In the hands of God, Job came triumphantly, through at last to that hope which maketh not ashamed or, or disappointed. It is far more righteous, Job, we meet at the end of the book than the one we meet at the beginning, end quote. Endurance leads to character. And that means testedness. And we need tested brothers and sisters in the church, don't we? We need examples of faithfulness in the church. It's a quality of confidence that comes from having been through tough experience. It only comes through uh, following through and doing your duty despite it all. And so suffering, if it first leads you to focus on God, proper priorities will lead you to greater confidence as you come through it. Tim Keller noted, Paul does not say we rejoice for our sufferings because that would be um, masochism. It actually is possible to rejoice for suffering. Some people need to feel punished in order to deal with their sense of unworthiness and guilt. Others maintain a superior attitude toward people who have an easier life. They see them as superficial or ungrateful. These are, all, and these are not the views that Paul is commending to us, to look down on others who have not had it as tough as we have, and we all can fall into that. It's possible to use suffering and afflictions as a work to justify ourselves. Some feel that God owes them his favor and acceptance because they have had a hard life. People who do not process their suffering through the gospel of grace can become proud and superior or deeply cynical, end quote. So just to be clear, that's not what Paul's talking about, that kind of view of suffering. 
and affliction. That self-righteousness view, no. Christians rejoice in what God's doing in their life through suffering. As John Murray said, afflictions have an eschatological orientation because they serve the interests of hope. And all this leads to growth and hope, which is stronger assurance and confidence in one's peace and access to God and future glory. Friends, doesn't suffering remove us from rival sources of confidence and hope? And don't afflictions drive us to the place where we find real hope and real confidence and real certainty in Christ alone? If you lost it all in this world today, are you going to flip out and fall into great despair? Or would you say, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness? If we face suffering with a mindset of justification by works, you know what's going to happen? We're going to break. It's going to break us. Instead of leaning into Christ and his purposes, we will despair as the devil would want us to. There's something inherently noble, isn't there, about those who have kept the faith. There's something noble about saints who fought the good fight. None of them perfect. But by grace, they kept getting up and walking with Christ. And they finished the race in the midst of external pressure. Terrible internal struggle. Personal injury. Constant temptation. And even self-doubt. And the Lord's going to put that all on display one day. Some of you are having to persevere through all kinds of things that nobody knows about except you and the Lord. And one day he's going to unveil it. And he's going to show you how he brought you through. And you're going to receive the crown of glory in the presence of Christ, which you will lay at his feet. Young people in the room this morning, who do you admire And why? The world holds up to us people who live out, as God's word shows, wicked lives for a brief moment. But the church of the Lord Jesus Christ holds out to us humble, godly saints who've been through it all and have held firm to Jesus Christ. Aren't you thankful for those examples? Maybe there's a Christian in this room, brothers and sisters, you should encourage today and say, I am so helped by your perseverance. Wouldn't you want someone to tell you that? Hasn't it been encouraging when someone has has greeted you in the Lord and said, gosh, I've seen you go through so much and I am touched by your faithfulness to Christ. I mean, when we are gone, we hope at least our family and our Christian friends would remember us that way. More importantly, we want God to work that out in us. And we stand before him and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Now note, the fact is that the Christian life is not a sprint. It's an ultra-distance marathon. Sometimes you're like that guy in the marathon video who can't make it to the line. He's falling down and the people are coming up and they're helping get him across the line. It, It can be so long. 
One said it could be like partaking in an ultra-marathon obstacle course <laughs> while being chased by tigers wearing laser guns on their heads. <laughs> yeah, you ever, said, you ever been the Christian that said this or heard a Christian go, really? Really? This week? This is what's happening? Lord, I'm going to die. What are we to do? Make use then of God's provisions of grace. As one author, he called it, great stations along the way that can refresh us in the often perilous journey toward the New Jerusalem. Hopefully every Sunday service, our own family members and our Christian friends can be those places of refreshment and recharging. I don't care who you are, I'm going to tell you straight up, you need recharging. There's not somebody in here who every week does not need recharging in the things of God. What keeps us going? Friends, hope keeps us going. Knowing that Christ is near. Do you know you're closer to Jesus today than you were yesterday? You're one day closer. The end is coming. Now either the Lord will return or we will walk under the veil of death. But either way, we will see the holy city. Zion is not that far away. Something else to learn here is Learn God's perspective on suffering. Now, I was under great conviction preparing this week. I'm so thankful for the word this week. And then Chris's prayer tremendously helped me too. Just thinking through specific applications in my own heart. I need to go through that God has a perspective for us on suffering that's not horizontal, as Chris said. It's with himself. It's vertical. And that will help us avoid a shallow hope that we will immediately be able to see the point of some suffering. Sometimes we don't get to see the point of our suffering this side of heaven. But we'll begin to grasp what God's doing in us through the afflictions. He's driving us to Jesus. So we've got to avoid a shallow glory now kind of Christianity, health, wealth, prosperity. That's from hell. And also a too simple suffering uh, now, glory later formula. It is suffering now, glory later. But between that is suffering and glory. There is a deep process of change going on in us. Who are being changed inside by God. As one author put it, the Christian life is not a miserable one crawling along in pain, but happy to have an entrance ticket into the new creation safely in our pockets. It is a tough life, but one in which God is daily at work in us to change us and prepare us for glory. Do you have a mindset this morning that says your afflictions and trials right now have benefits in your life spiritually? We're not to be stoic, just gritting our teeth. We look through the suffering to the hope of Christ. The rest in Jesus alone because he assures and never disappoints. Number four, last one, the saturation of the spirit. The saturation of the spirit, verse five. Let's tie it up here. The addition of verse five, look at, look at how verse five relates to verses three and four. Seems to me that Christians who focus single-mindedly on the Lord 
grow in confidence, experience more of his love during suffering, and an outpouring of love into our hearts. Many Christians testify that they feel more of God's presence and more of his love in Jesus during suffering because it makes them focus on him more. We don't need to fear being disgraced on judgment day. That's why he says we'll not disappoint. You see that in the text? Because God floods his love. It's his love, not our love for God, though that's a product of it. But he floods his love into our hearts, the center of who we are and all that we do. And he does it through the person of the Holy Spirit. He comes to indwell us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we have the love of God put inside of us. We know that God loves us. We know that Jesus died for us, that he was raised for us, that he's coming again for us. Well, that changes everything. We don't have to fear being put to shame. That's impossible because we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Again, John Murray noted how our hearts have been immersed with the love of God and it controls and captivates. The Holy Spirit who searches all things is the one who was uh, filling our hearts with love. He is the seal of its efficacy and genuineness. It is the Holy Spirit who has given this love to us and for that reason, indwelling and governing, who imports the assurance, the assurance of God's love to us. As I've told many of you in this room, if the Holy Spirit has convict, convinced you of Jesus Christ, I can't talk you out of it. Once that has happened in your heart, nobody can talk you out of Jesus because you have been saturated, sealed with the Holy Spirit. You have an assurance that no one can take away. Paul's not saying that we experience intense feelings of love for God, although that, that could be true. He does mean to speak here the fact, the benefit that the Spirit converts us, convinces us of God's love expressed in the gospel, and that's what guarantees that we're justified, that we'll be saved. God has given his love to us in abundance. He has given us an inward assurance by the Holy Spirit. Do you know what it means to walk in the Spirit, church? It means to walk under his control and not the passions of this world. You know, we can do it, but we must submit and stop grieving the Holy Spirit who was given to us in love to reveal God's love. When we grieve the Holy Spirit, we cannot produce what he intends. We don't feel loving towards God. And we don't feel his love for us as we should when we are walking in a way of grieving the Holy Spirit. Maybe you are discouraged and feel in distance from God. Maybe there's something you have not dealt with between you and the Lord. If there's some unchecked, unrepented of sin in your life, you need to deal with that today. You need to take it to the cross and ask God for the power to move past it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Beloved, today there's no reason to, to know more disappointment like the world lives in. That's the contrast the world goes from disappointment to disappointment, don't they? Some of you used to walk in that. You went from one disappointment to the next. But Christians who have, those who have Christ will never know that disappointment again. The world will disappoint us, but Christ never will. 
The world goes in after every hangover, every hookup, every hustle, disappointed. God holds out Christ for those who are sick of disappointments. Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Come to Christ. God gives the Spirit to cause us to know He loves us. Do you know this peace with God? Do you know this access to God? Do you know the training by God? And do you know the love of God today? Let's pray. Lord, our hope is only Jesus. Truly, Lord, all is mine in Christ. And this hope will never disappoint us. We can never be disappointed by the one who was raised from the dead. The one who's forgiven us of our sins. Who's healed us, Lord. Forever. So that we might stand in your presence. Lord, transform us by this gospel. Encourage those who are under affliction today, Lord, to, to get more of Christ, to seek more of him today. The days are evil. Our life is but a vapor. So, Lord, help us to hold firmly to Jesus. By your spirit, in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.